I am Filippo Sona and welcome to the debut episode of Wood Couture Podcast. Coming up in the show, we have Christina Zanic, one of the most recognized uh, interior designer, professional and businesswoman of the 21st century. What you will discover in today's show is her journey from Australia to Thailand, Bahrain, UK, back to our home here in Dubai. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to our podcast and uh, also our show. It is a very first one. I couldn't think of any better person than you to be our very first mm-hmm. guest. And uh, it's a podcast uh, about uh, legends of the design, hotels and real estate industry. They contributed positively to our industry. So, you know, I'm overexcited that is you the very first, you know, guest in our show. So, um, as you can see, I did a lot of research about you and uh, um, I had to study, you know, I mean, uh, impressive. And I would say you, Christina, for the people that don't know it, you know, which are, I struggle to believe there are people that don't know you. That's good. But, <laughs> you know, a f- few decades of experience mm-hmm. in design a former founding partner of DWP, mm-hmm. you know, which is amazing. And uh, back in 2012, you started your own boutique design firm, which bears your name. So exactly what it says on the team, Christina Zanic. And uh, what I'm amazed and what I love about you is that, that you keep very quiet about it. 2016, you won an award for the best around studio as a woman entrepreneur. And from 2018 and 2019, gosh, you rockets, you know, six awards for an incredible work on the uh, Ritz-Carlton Alwadi and, uh, and above all also best in hospitality interior designer of the year, which is, uh, I think is incredible. You know, in the way you keep it a secret is incredible. But what I would like to start, I think, which is very interesting and what the audience would love to know is... Where you all started, where do you come from? This is really, where did you grow up? Yeah. Okay. Firstly, thank you very much for having me on your uh, podcast. This is kind of a a real pleasure and to be here with you. So uh, thanks for that. So, wow. I mean, you know, a legend, as you say, I mean, that's sort of kind of amazing. But uh, actually, I very humble beginnings. Uh, Grew up in Australia, in Adelaide. Uh, My parents were farmers. Um, Actually, my sister's in architecture, which is kind of, I hope you didn't find that out (laughs) with all your research. But actually, I studied in um, Adelaide and I have a Bachelor of Design in Human Environment. So it's kind of a little bit different to interior design. It's more focused on interior architecture. But I, um, after graduating, I worked in Australia for two years. Uh, I worked with Woodhead Australia and Woods Bagot, actually. And then I moved to London. So uh, I just decided that, you know, that was the age of 20, I think it was about 22, and really wanted to do something uh, different. So I went overseas and moved to London. And unfortunately, London was in a recession, but I got a great job with Texaco, designing their headquarters in Canary Wharf. And I think that was sort of the start of my sort of adventure, and I kind of liked that. After two years working in uh, the UK, I was about 26, I was then offered a position in uh, Thailand. And I remember calling my mother and saying to her, hey, I think I'm going to Thailand. And she was like, oh, my gosh, you remember that 
crazy uh, film with Nicole Kidman. It was called Bangkok Hilton. <laughs> and she's like, don't go to Thailand. You'll be put in jail or something. So anyway, um, I still went. And, uh, and I was there for uh, actually a long, most of my adult life, actually. So, but I started working with Woods Bagot for a few years. And then oh. I set up on my own together with a partner. And that we grew into DWP. So uh I think I lived in Thailand for almost 18 years and then um, made my way to uh, the Middle East to set up our businesses around the region here. And uh, yeah, it's been kind of a long journey, but uh, really interesting, learned a lot. And I just got that travel bug. So I kind of like to be, you know, traveling all the time. So I moved and I decided instead of being here in um, Dubai, uh, we already had a, an established office. I moved to Bahrain. So I lived in Bahrain for five years prior to coming to uh, Dubai. So, yeah, that's pretty well much how it goes. But always doing a variety of different projects, really interesting things. I have a motto. I love to travel. And I like to go to pr uh, do projects in places where people don't want to go. So, you know, I worked on a project, um, you know, in Oh, the, on the Black Sea, in Angola, in the depths of Africa, Khartoum, you know, Nairobi, and all these sort of um, sort of crazy places that people sort of never used to go to. So you'd find me there. So, yeah, I'm kind of a little bit more of a traveler and really get inspired by different cultures. So that's part of my sort of, you know, ethos and motto in the office, you know, keep traveling and design. Wow, it's fascinating. I, I think... What I love is that design is in the family DNA because I, I couldn't find out about your sister. Ah, good, good, good. She's an architect, yeah, so she's fantastic. An architect. So, uh, uh, before studying human environment, mm -hmm. which is fascinating title, you know, yeah, I mean, you can tell us actually. a bit more about that. Is uh, but at what point before that moment, that that uh, university time, did you realize that design? was what you wanted to do, you know, what, what, Actually, what I shaped you? <laughs> Actually, I didn't, you know, it was kind of funny. My, uh, my sister went through, you know, right. started to go through university and my mum thought that's enough, you know, and uh, my father was like, you know, if you want to go to university, you need to go. So actually he really pushed to, for us to study and, uh, you know, better to do that. My mother wanted me to work in a bank, actually. <laughs> she said, why don't you just get a normal job? And But that wasn't in my DNA at all. Right. And uh, so I really, I think I sort of realized, um, you know, through, uni uh, through sort of university, I really loved art and drawing and, and all that type of thing. But actually my passion was physiotherapy and sports physiotherapy. I'm kind of tall. I've always been in sort of playing uh, different sort of basketball, netball, hockey, field hockey, you know, all sorts of things. So um, I always wanted to go into physiotherapy and, uh, and actually my second choice was design. So I then got accepted into the design school in Adelaide and it was an amazing university and it was a four-year course. So when you say it's kind of a weird title, it's a, it's a Bachelor of Design in Human Environment. So what the course was the first year was really amazing because we actually got to understand all the disciplines of design and that was also industrial design, jewelry and metalsmithing, photography, fine art. So we, industrial design as well. So we got, a, got to sort of sample all of that and then they sort of, 
you know, saw where your strengths were and then channeled you into that direction. And mine was in more interiors and human environments, as they call it. And yeah, and so I then sort of did that. But I always sort of think about what if I was a physiotherapist, you know, so, but uh, I guess that didn't happen. But uh, yeah, and I did that and my career just went off. But I worked in Australia, in Adelaide, actually, for two years. And it was an amazing experience working with architects. And we were part of a small interior design um, team within the architectural firm. So I got to work on a lot of designs of public spaces. In fact, I won an award for the company to, uh, we did a competition for an airport design. Wow. The interiors of the Adelaide International Airport, gosh, that's more than 28 years ago, 30 years ago. And, yeah, we won that competition. I won that because I was the key uh, designer working on it. So I got to, you know, learned a lot about uh, public spaces and designing airports. So, yeah, it sort of sort of took off from there, you know. So Wow. Yeah. It seems that from many public spaces, then you end up in hospitality. And I think what mm. you were describing before is that you live 18 fantastic years in Thailand. Yeah. And, uh, wow. and uh, I have a natural question. Why did you leave such a wonderful place? Um, you know, there's always, I love it there. I still have a home there. I still yeah. have a connection. I have an office there. We have uh, 25 people in that office. So I feel I'm connected still with it. I think it's a really creative place. When I first came to Thailand, I have to say, you know, design was not at the forefront as it is now. And I think our firm actually changed the perception of design. We ended up being one of the top three firms in uh, Bangkok in doing design. And most of our work was commercial. Back then, um, there was an influx of sort of the requirement for lots of offices. We ended up designing Citibank's headquarters. It was their largest headquarters on, in the Southern Hemisphere. Wow. And we did that project. And that was about 1,000 people or 1,500 people actually moving into that office. We also designed, I think I designed about 17 different banks, HSBC, they had a thousand people moving in. So these were sort of like huge commercial uh, projects. And it was only until sort of the latter part of our life there that the hospitality industry really took off. You know, Thailand had a great campaign, you know, bringing tourists. And it's always a tourist destination anyway. So we started to get more and more involved. And one of our key projects there was uh, designing Sirocco. So we designed the wow. bar on the top of the, uh, you know, uh, I think it's the estate tower. Right. And, you know, they filmed that amazing, you know, uh, Hangover 2 or whatever it was. <laughs> so that became famous there. So also Condé Nest actually uh, called that one of the top 10 tables of the world, you know, wow. uh, for a long time. So then all of a sudden everyone thought you could just design loads of rooftop bars and restaurants. And uh, that was kind of an amazing experience. So I think in Bangkok, um, yeah, we, you know, we had a really good creative team and it's a great hub for that. So I sort of don't miss it because I'm there all the time, even with my team now. But, uh, well, despite the COVID uh, year, but, um, yeah, I was always traveling every sort of six weeks to uh, see the team. Keeping the conversation in Thailand, uh -huh. because, uh, you know, I, I'm getting, re I'm drawing into a fantastic okay. experience, you know, and I can see when you talk about Thailand, I understand why it is your home. You mm -hmm. consider it home, yeah. despite being Australian, because you speak with such a passion oh, about, really? uh, about 
Thailand, which is incredible. Yeah. And uh, I saw a recent video that you shoot together with uh, the Accord Group, mm -hmm. and uh, and um, you describe in Thailand with such a fierce and profound passion. Mm -hmm. And what caught my my eye and my attention was that you speak about the and. Please help me with that. Hmong tribe fabrics. Oh, they're Hmong tribes. Um, yeah, I collect I mean, them. <laughs> tell me more about this. What is so special about these fabrics? Because, you know, yeah, you describe okay. it with such a great passion. I, I really want to oh, leave that really? moment. Please. Oh, okay. Actually, what I, um, one of my passions uh, was also sort of arts and crafts. And yeah. uh, Thailand's amazing with all this type of thing. And the, there are loads of these different um, villages up sort of past Chiang Mai and Chiang Rai. And one of the villages and one of the tribes is called the Hmong tribes. Yeah. And it's sort of amazing type of, um, you know, special garments that they wear, whether it's for marriage or celebration of some sort. Um, they adorn these fabrics with these beautiful patchworks. And these patchworks are amazing because they have this graphic element to them. And the graphic design for me is, kind of, I kind of love the direct graphic design direction in, in terms of design. And the colors they use from really vivid neon colors to very subdued colors. But the way they combine all these graphic elements together, they look fantastic. So I started collecting these fabrics and then I framed the fabric. So in my home in Bangkok, I have a whole collection of really unique uh, tribal fabrics. And that was just an inspiration. And it's amazing what you can actually derive from that when you're working on projects and how people see things. And these are just really basic tribes, you know, that do handicrafts and stuff. And they haven't been exposed to the, uh, you know, the world generally. So I really appreciate that craftsmanship. So yeah. I was always um, going to markets and uh, you'd never find me in a mall, but you'd always <laughs> find me in some back street or some sort of a market where we could actually, you know, uh, look for things where, you know, people do something differently. And actually in also I, I was having um, someone in uh, Chiang Mai make ceramics for me. I sort of created my own dinner set and I really love the Vietnamese um, have these donson drums and they're these kind of beautiful yeah. drums with all these patterns on them. So I took one of those patterns and I recreated that pattern and created a, a dinner service from them because these uh, drums were all circular, of course. So yeah, I always love to create something bespoke whenever I have that time, but it also has that craft element to it. So yeah, yeah. it's very different to what we do on a commercial basis or a hospitality but um, I think having that sort of passion to do things like that, I think it just uh, makes life a bit more interesting. It makes shopping fantastic. So, yeah, I'm a bit of a shopaholic when it comes what? to Thai things <laughs> or Asian things. I mean, what we just learned is that you like to go in places where nobody wants to go or yeah, sure. less people go. Yeah. You want to do projects where nobody else wants to do yeah, it. Sure. So uh, that makes you unique. Yeah. Uh, oh, I would I say, so. you know, that, so. that, 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 that's exactly the Christina Zanich direction, you know, yeah. way, you know, my way, as I would call it. And Actually, uh, you know, if we have that opportunity, you know, I used to have silk made 
in the in the outskirts mm. of um, of Bangkok, and uh, I just remember we would go and visit this these tribes and these villages, and they just make us uh, all this various silk and the colours that we wanted. I remember going to the outskirts of uh, it wasn't Hanoi, it was Hoi An, and this is almost like 28 years ago. Um, and back then, people weren't traveling as much. So this was uh, a great opportunity. And I designed all these um, interesting lanterns. And I remember going to see these lanterns being made because I ordered 2,000 lanterns. And, uh, and I went to this village, and this whole village was just absolutely full of these lanterns. And, you know, the grandma of the, the woman who did this order, she was there cooking away for the whole village. And we ended up having a great time with uh, everyone there and making oh. these lanterns with Vietnamese silk. So, yeah, why not? Great experiences. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. You know, it's, uh, I feel like jumping on a plane going. No, I want to try it too. <laughs> you have please. to go. It's you need great. to give me the address sometime. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But uh, obviously the passion uh, you describe these two places, even Vietnam. Mm. Wow. I, I think it would be the same everywhere. But uh, Yeah, really. Yeah. Has there been any event or... Uh, situations or experiences in in this country that have really shaped you you know I mean not usual experience but really remarkable experience that you know have mm. have shaped your life yeah that? I think so I think it's just working with the people you know sometimes something so simple mm. can be kind of complicated and I think when you've worked whether it's with the Thai people or with the Vietnamese or people in Cambodia I remember we did a project in Cambodia and we had to have something made out of mud because they didn't have those construction techniques and we had to learn how to do something in mud I mean these are kind of amazing experiences so I think you know Nothing's too, uh, nothing's too difficult. And I'm, you know, I think I preach to my team here. It's all about perseverance and, you know, to have such a longevity in a career and to always be inspired and be passionate. I think you just have to persevere and through ups and downs. And we all go through that, I think. But I always remember these sort of cool stories of things that we did. And I remember once, uh, I have to share this with you now that we've gone back into my deep deaths of my career. I remember a friend of mine, we went to um, a location outside of Vietnam and uh, we both went to inspect some of the items that they were making for us. And then the, the village wanted to put on this uh, beautiful lunch for us, you know, and then all of a sudden we were um, sort of waiting around and all of a sudden we heard this scream like, you know, we thought, oh, they go the chickens, you know, and we're like, oh, my gosh, what's happening there? So anyway, they did this sort of barbecue uh, for us with the chicken that was just <laughs> slaughtered. And we were just like sitting there and thinking how amazing and people, how they welcome you and are willing to do anything. I think it's great. And uh, I think if you can be creative and share that creative creativity and push people to be able to do sort of things interestingly it's really great so you know I mean I've yeah I think these things shape you and make you sort of stronger and make you want to do things a little bit differently you know it's not always as easy in the real world you know there's always other things we have to think about time budgets you know and all that type all that type of thing but I always remember my days when uh, designing smaller things as well and having them made and seeing if it was possible to have it made. But, uh, yeah, we had lots of fun doing it. 
and you have to have fun, of course. So that's uh, you know, it's um, it's quite interesting listening to you and your sharing some of your life mm-hmm. stories. As um, and and then I read, you know, a recent publications. You know, that you are on the front page of Interior Design Magazine, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, one of many. I just the one that I managed to get hold of. <laughs> and uh, but uh, your quote quite oftenly says, "I never thought I would run my business again," but. You set up your own company in Thailand. You are founding partner of DWP. Mm-hmm. And then back in 2012, you again, you set up Christina Zanich, design consultant. So where does all this drive come from? You know, you are entrepreneur by nature. I know, I should you be know, retired. Three companies, you <laughs> cannot deny it. You know, yeah. I guess I've been self-employed since the age of 26 and... Um, You know, I've had opportunities to go and work with other companies, but I guess, I don't know, I just seem to have a lot of drive. I like what I do. Um, I think I also make sort of uh, really good client connections, and um, that's been also a driver where you have support from clients, and I feel when you develop these relationships, uh, it's really important to maintain those relationships. So I never feel like it's a difficult thing. You know, I also don't think about it too much. I also think if you work hard, Um, you can make anything happen. Um, And starting Christina Zanuck Consultants again, um, not again, or starting it as a new thing, uh, was just another, yeah, let's do it. You know, there was a need. I I got a call from a client. I remember I was in Turkey and they said, what are you doing there? You've got to come back, help us with a project. And I did, and all of a sudden started the company again. So, um, yeah, nothing's too difficult. I don't know. I seem to have some inner drive, you know, work all the time. But uh, I, I think you have a great humility. You know, you're yeah. very down to earth, very approachable, and uh, you know, and I getting so. to know you more <laughs> is incredible. You know, you find out some of the amazing attributes that you really have as a human being. Uh, you study human environment, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not only as an individual, but uh, in your profession, yeah. you incorporate the human element. Yeah. And uh, and I must admit, I, I have to praise your marketing team because they describe you superbly well. Oh, really? You know, and, and Good. If I may, for those people that haven't got They'll the chance. They'll have some brownie points from me today then. <laughs> yes. And uh, for those that have not been to your website, they have to go and read about your biography. But I want to quote this one, okay. and, then, and I'm going to ask you a, a very good question. Christina prides herself of being in tune with her clients, with a talent for synthesizing, synthesizing mm-hmm. you know, I mean, making it clear mm-hmm. what is desirable and attractive with what is viable and functional. Mm -hmm. So how would you coach a new employee or how to achieve this balance? Well, that's really kind of a difficult thing. And I think it takes time. I think what's really important, we have to listen to what a client is asking for or whoever. And uh, we have to really, really be sort of, true to what they want, but we should also try and twist that around to create something creative. But actually at the same time, what we're doing, we have to also be mindful that it has to work. It has to be functional. They can afford it. And I think it's always something that we need to balance between, you know, wanting to do what we want to do. And I think a lot of young designers still don't understand that whole concept of, 
this is the client brief. You need to listen to what they're requesting. And um, I think just over years and years of experience and just listening to clients and, and also I'm a little bit outspoken. I like to sort of challenge the, my clients as well. But I think I also have this very um, uh, sort of honest approach because I think we need to question them as well. Maybe sometimes they don't know if they're doing the right thing. Um, I really believe in bringing my team to meetings uh, all the time. If I'm going to a meeting, I never go alone. So they have to be part of that meeting. And actually, over the last year, I think um, the COVID thing in terms of business, it's been great. More of our team have been able to attend meetings. So if I'm in a meeting, I can question a client and I think my team wouldn't do that as much. Um, and I think that's my sort of strength. I don't worry about it because I think it's how you pose the question. And I'm always reviewing how people write something and if may have, they may have contacted the client and they may have written an email. And then I read that email and I think, well, I would have said it a little bit different. I would go back to them and say, hey, you should have written it like this. It's the way you say something. And I think when you earn that respect from the client and you develop that relationship, there's no going back. And I think teaching someone that, it's a journey. It's not something you could teach someone in a month or two. It's a long journey. And I think a lot of designers tend not to stay with their companies for a long time. And one of the best things for them to do is stay with a company, go through the thick and thin. If they don't know what they're doing, they need to ask. If they're not happy about something, they need to come and ask. You know, I'm approachable. You know, you talked about that human uh, um, sort of touch or human experience. Uh, I really believe that everyone has to be approachable. Yeah, I may wear that hat as a boss, you know, and sign the checks at the end of the month, but actually at the end of the day, I'm also a team member, and I like when my team challenges me as well. You know, they have to bring in fresh ideas, but they shouldn't be afraid to ask for something because if they don't ask, they don't get. But sometimes I also like to reward if I think people are doing a really great job and really putting the effort in, even if maybe something isn't going right. But I think it's listening is important, earning respect from our clients, but it's something that takes a bit of time. And I think if a young designer really you know, waits or works in a firm, whether it's my firm or whether it's someone else's firm, they really need to give it some time. And it's not something you learn overnight. So, you know, it's taken me three decades. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I'm always, you know, coming across things. So putting out fires and... um, As a boss and as a colleague, you know, Mm -hmm. when you lose focus or let's say partially lose focus, what do you do to regain the situation? Oh, I can't. I'm not allowed to lose focus. You know, if I lose focus, everybody loses focus. So sometimes, you know, you go through your ups and downs and you think, oh, you know, do I need to do this today? But actually, I think if you uh, sort of really look at the issues that are at hand and you try and fix them and really, whether it's with a client or with someone in the office, you need to go and talk about it, communicate about it. I'm really blunt. You know, maybe they say Australians are a little bit more black and white. (laughs) I'm purely black and white. I don't have time for, 
you know, um, sort of worrying about micromanaging things, you know, I think it's just better say what you need to say. So you get a much better output from people and they know where you stand. So, you know, I think that's good. So I really like to try and teach the team in the office to, you know, speak out, you know, as much yeah. as they can. So, and as Christina, what habits or obnoxious you know, actions do you have that people don't know? I don't know. I want to ask them, actually. <laughs> I don't know, actually. I don't know. I mean, you know. That made you think, right? Yeah, you it know, does make uh, me think, yeah, you know. Uh, I don't have time to think about those things, <laughs> but I'm sure, you know, my marketing team could give you a, a few pointers on that one. I'm glad you couldn't find that in your research. No, 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 no. That, that's inside, Christina, you know. It's, uh, we need to find out. Yeah. But, but it, I want to build upon uh, something uh, very important you said, which is I sympathize with that, and I think is also one of the values that I, I personally, uh, you know, carry through since I was a kid and uh, be true to yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's fantastic. And uh, on, that, on that note, I, I wanted to ask you a industry-wide question and is what bad advice do you hear in the industry when it comes to interior design? You know, what, what is common that, you know, I mean, seems to be, you know, I mean, popping up every now and then, you know, what is the bad in advice? In terms of bad advice on projects or people? Or? On interior design in general, whether it is, mm. uh, you know, uh, I know it's, it's not nice, but at the end of the day, we are surrounded by all sorts of people. And, uh, you know, as you contributed so much to the interior design industry, you know, there is always clients that tell stories. Yes. You know, and, uh, so what is the common bad advice that, you know, the industry tend to... Mm. I think uh, what, I, what I personally... Actually, I really, when, you know, you mentioned earlier, I keep to myself, really. I, I'm very true to myself. I really care about what we put out, what my mm. team does. I want to make sure that we come across as professional as possible. I mean, you can't sort of keep an eye on everything. But in the industry, I don't, I'm not one to gossip. It's not my not style. <laughs> and, but sometimes you hear sort of things about different firms or people not doing the right thing or whatever. But, you know, I sort of don't listen to that sort of gossip, if you want to call it that. It's, you know, I've got bigger things to do. So, yeah, I don't know if it's any advice per se, but, um, yeah, I just really want to make sure whatever we do, what we put out is the best that we can do for the clients. And, uh, yeah, and yeah, it's simple as that, actually. If we talk about, you know, not necessarily bad advice, let's say unusual behaviors, like, mm -hmm. you know, cutting budgets. Oh, yeah. You know, okay. I know one of your recent <laughs> Value quotes, engineering. <laughs> yeah. One of your recent quotes says, the more you keep cutting budget, the more layer design comes yeah. off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. How does that make you feel? You know? Actually, I, I mean, it's disappointing. But then again, it's a client's prerogative. You know, yeah. I would rather sometimes clients focus on certain areas and spend the money where they feel is necessary rather than doing too much and not have enough budget to cover everything. I also like when we do refurbishments, let's not throw everything away. I think when we worked on the Alcasa Hotel refurbishment, I think the asset managers were really kind of super happy with us because we maintained 90% of the furniture that was already there, but reinvented it. So yeah, budgets are a 
always are an issue. There's never enough. I always question clients, so where did you get that budget from? How do you know that that should be the budget? You know, Because sometimes we get these figures and we think, where did they get that from? It's not realistic. And then we have to make it realistic. So that becomes a challenge in itself. So, but value engineering, I hate that word. I mean, actually, it's a kind of almost a swear word in our industry for me, value engineering. Um, I think if we are sort of given budgets from the beginning and if we can work to those budgets and we all know um, that that's what the client you know, has to spend, we should work from that from the beginning. And then there's no need to value engineer and makes the whole process uh, much easier. Nothing worse than we spend all this time designing something, the client's super happy with it. And then at the end of the day, it gets watered down. And like you said, it starts to strip the layers. And then the final product isn't exactly as you imagined it. But if we had designed it to that budget from the onset, worked with suppliers directly, you know, to achieve those budgets. And imagine we achieved those budgets, but then what if the client then said, wow, you achieved that, maybe I'll cut it again. Now that's not fair as well. So yeah, it's a tricky, it's a tricky line in, in that. But I think at the end of the day, some clients do share their budgets and some don't, and some just make it a, um, it's, it's a mandate to actually do a value engineering exercise. But actually, if we had designed it from the beginning, maybe we don't need to do it. So, yeah, it is a kind of a, yeah, it's a horrible topic. But, it's finding the But buy. it's part of the business. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, try to make it a success, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Know. And you have to make it a success, you know. Actually, I did, we just finished something yesterday and I spoke to the client just before I came here today. And he said, you know, we love that new design, but I'm really worried about the budget. I said, why? He goes, well, it looks, you know, I don't know if we can afford that. I said, well, why don't we strive to afford that? You know, afford that main feature and everything else we can sort of simplify or do something that isn't outrageous. And we can really afford that to make your project so much better. And, you know, we have that wow factor. You know, everyone's looking for that wow factor, that instant moment, you know, in a place. And if we start to water that down, I think we lose that essence of the project itself. Talking about wow factor. Yeah. And uh, I want to take you back to 2018. And okay. I'm very curious to know, mm. obviously, mm. Uh, you won the best hotel interior design right, of the year yes. with the Ritz Carlton Alwadi. Mm -hmm. You know, how did you do that? What does it take to win an award? Wow, that project the, was amazing. The winning design. Yeah, that project was an amazing uh, project. We were really given this opportunity. And it was a Banyan Tree yeah. Hotel, so it was a refurbishment. Oh. Um, so actually Marriott were taken, so it was a, a reflagging of that property. And I had a senior designer, Jose, working with me on that project. And he was great. And we really had to sort of create a narrative and a storyline behind that project. Um, I mean, you know, how many opportunities do you get to do like a tented, you know, villa in the middle of a desert? So projects like that come, you know, once in a lifetime. There's sort of, you know, there's more urban hotels than there are, you know, hotels in the desert. And I think the unique product in itself 
It just makes it stand out because it's quite kind of really different. But we created a narrative and a story, and we were really true to that story. So the whole guest journey was really instilled in that um, whole property. So we really had this a lot more Arabian feel, um, very high-end. Um, people tell me it's kind of an expensive place to stay, but, uh, well, it is. Um, but it is beautiful. So we really, I think it was taking that narrative, and I think it really... You know, um, it was a different project at that time, and it just became very unique. So I love those type of projects. They're few and far between, and uh, when you get that opportunity and you can do something with it, and the client was really respe uh, receptive to um, creating that concept. But also, you know, we had to work within the shells uh, that we had and the existing environment and, and so forth. But, you know, the, actually, I, just in that project, you know, the rooms really were beautiful and we were really able to reinvent them. And I think the operator and the client really pushed to do something different there. So we really reimagined the space. But the funniest uh, part of the project was uh, the Chinese. They had a Chinese-Asian restaurant in a tent and we changed that restaurant to look like a farmhouse restaurant because they, their whole concept was farm to table, um, concept. And we created a farmhouse in a tent, you know, and when I think about that, it was really challenging, but I think the final outcome was really amazing. And we had a really a great uh, feedback from customers and, uh, the client, the operators. So yeah, it's a popular wow. hotel. So maybe we, we really deserve that award actually, because we really worked hard and the outcome was great. How did you celebrate the win? Oh, I guess yes, with the team, you know, a couple of bottles of champagne, why not? <laughs> but yeah, we were, I was really surprised, you know, at the end of the day, I remember it was the first award that they were announcing that evening. And, um, I was sitting next to some people and then they said, wow, that's you. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> so I just remember it was a, it was a nice, uh, nice surprise. How, <laughs> the moment you receive the awards, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, I don't know how it feels, but I, who was the first person or group of people that you thanked? Oh, definitely Jose, because he was really integral to the project and, right. you know, working on that day and night and he did an exceptional job. But actually it's the whole team effort and the whole team did a great, um, you know, did a great job to get the outcome. So not everything went smoothly, you know, every project has its uh, sort of challenges, but uh, yeah, it was really the team. So, right. and the client for giving us that opportunity, of course. So yeah, we have to be happy about that. So obviously, as you said, not everything goes according to plan or in life and in business. Yeah, sure. So I would say blending the two, um, what failures or big mistakes that you've done, you know, I mean, uh, have changed the way you're approaching things, you know, I mean, it could be mm. both life and, uh, and, and Actually, business. Actually, yeah, wow. I mean, there's Or taught always... you a big lesson, let's say. Lessons. Wow. I mean, I guess there's a lot and you learn from, uh, you learn from some of the mistakes. And I think one of the things is I really want people to, if they get annoyed, do they write that email? <laughs> you know, how do they draft that email and never write an email or any sort of correspondence when you're angry, <laughs> right? And when you want to say your piece, I think you need to calm down. You need to really think about it. So you need to step back from a situation. 
I think when you're younger, and I know when I started my business, a bit more gung-ho, um, I think, you know, you just say things off the top of your head and then maybe you regret some of the things you say. But uh, I think that's, a, where you know, some advice is don't react immediately and always uh, think about it before you say something because I think um, sometimes there's more to it. And always think of how else you would approach it, you know, put yourself in that situation. So, uh, yeah, you know, think before you, you know, speak or write that email particularly. It's easy, you know, press a button and that email's gone. <laughs> and then you think, oh, can I retract that, you know? So. It's quite interesting because it's, you know, wow, the more I I discovered Christina, you know, the more I, I, I found uh, you are very true to yourself because whatever I read in the press or the more I speak to you, you know, and uh, there is amazing consistency. You you quoted in, in this interview saying, I don't design for what I see, but I design the way I feel. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, and, and th- that's incredible because you just said, you know, I mean, uh, think before speaking. So yeah. emotion goes, goes yeah. into your Actually, design. You know, it's about emotion. And I think clients and projects and what we work on all have to have some emotion. There has to be some sort of feeling behind it. And if you can show that feeling um, through whatever you do, and design is a great platform to do that in, right? So, But also when we're designing hotels, it's not about our personal feeling. We have to think you know, out of the box and we have to think much more on a broader scale, you know, a lot more people. It's not about personal but it's how can we get a reaction from people how will people feel about going to that location how would they feel about being in that space so it's constant emotion you know and uh yeah i really think it's um so important that we able to create that and sometimes we start off with really uh, fantastic uh, ideas but then that gets watered down and we've lost that emotion and then we have to go back how do we get that emotion back in but it is important recently uh, there's been a publication about around the end of march from hilton corporations you know and a good friend larry traxler which is mm-hmm. the global vice president for design kind of uh, contributed to a paper that was uh, uh, distributed by the Hilton Corporation itself and uh, uh, talking about, you know, a decade of innovations, you know, I mean, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, what we learned and the seven key things that will shape the, the future of hotel design. And uh, I would love to read exactly the point about design, mm-hmm. which I find fascinating. It says, the future of hotel spaces design will gracefully embrace social distancing, contactless guest journey, and deliver innovative ways of blurring the lines between indoor and out. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel about that? And what's your views about how design is going? Yeah, actually, with a lot of those points, we're already doing those now, actually. And uh, there seems to be no borders between spaces. Spaces are intermingled. Um, We're doing a project where, you know, the all-day dining is part of the lounge, is part of uh, the lobby space. Um, That's kind of interesting. We just completed a resort where 
the indoors was part of the outdoors and it was almost seamless. So I think a, a design is really being shaped and challenged and, and I think, you know, just this whole era of the last year and a half, you know, things haven't drastically changed, but I think uh, there's more design is more open to lots of new ideas of a bit more free form, I think, and uh, less restrictions and um, yeah, we're just starting to explore space again, actually, in a much, in a different sort of context and using that space, um, not just two dimensionally, but also three dimensionally, looking at how we can, you know, make spaces work, um, much better. So, and how people want it, you know, and, uh, you know, people are changing their whole perception of going to some of these spaces and, you know, a lot of hotels, you know, have these directives that they want to become more social, socially orientated. So we have to think about that. But, you know, social distancing, would I don't know, maybe that we won't see that in the next uh, five, six years. But I think we're consciously always thinking about that as part of our design and how we do things. So, but um, will it stay? We don't know. I mean, I'm not sure. We will do our best to... Yeah. To address it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we are addressing, you know, people ask us, you know, because of COVID, what have you changed, you know, in, in terms of your design? And actually, we haven't really changed very much, you know. We all thought the buffet in, you know, in an all-day dining was going to be uh, sort of uh, extinct now. But actually, it's not. It's uh, We still design it, but maybe it's going to be presented in different ways. So... I think um, some of the effects that we've had over the last year and a half, we are addressing those in different ways, but um, in terms of design more and more, I think we are more conscious about it, but it hasn't really affected the design brief, you know, uh, yet. So, yeah, I guess we have to watch the space, see what's happening, see what's coming about. Absolutely. Um, we're coming almost to an end to okay. our uh, podcast, but I have um, um, a bucket with three questions. Okay. I, I really okay. want to ask you, and okay. I'm really uh, desperate <laughs> okay. to ask you this, you know, because I think I want to hear your views considering okay. the, an amazing 45 minutes of okay. discussion we had. Uh, one, women in business, you've been mm -hmm. very successful, you know, yeah. been awarded for running uh, mm -hmm. your own business as a woman, you mm -hmm. know, at the best in, yeah. uh, design studio. You've been successful as a, you know, uh, in inspiring a lot of people. You know, they look mm -hmm. up to you like an inspirations. And um, there is a lot of industries that are uh, getting a grip or try to balance in the gender equality. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, but it, it seems that the interior design community have done quite well. Or, or having a balance between male and female. Mm -hmm. uh, would you agree with that? Or yeah, would... totally agree with that. And actually, you know, people always ask me this sort of, they're about to ask me this question. As a woman, you know, do you think uh, yeah. you've been at a disadvantage? Maybe I'll ask that question. But uh, actually, no, I never look at it that way. I just, um, I feel that as a woman, um, I sometimes have a, a leverage, 
actually to no. maybe more of my male counterparts when working with certain clients. But also, you know, I'm six foot two, so uh, I get away with a lot more, I think. So I have this stature, so uh, I'm, sh- I'm sure I'm bigger than most people's, <laughs> most of my clients, so they have to listen. Um, so, yeah, but I don't, you know, actually one thing with that, I always, I like to hire a mix, uh, a mix in my office. I love to have the balance of male and female. Um, I think that's really important uh, for just the growth of the company. I'm totally not all about women's uh, liberation, but I really believe um, women should go and pursue their careers and really um, fight for what they want. I think that's important, you know. I just, I always remember my father and I was helping him on the farm and he said, you know, do you want to work like me or do you want to go to school? You know, and I just thought, and I was standing in the middle of this field with my dad holding this, all these um, bamboo stakes actually, because we had crops outside. And I just thought to myself, I ain't doing this, <laughs> you know. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, what? when you're sort of given an, uh, a chance to think about what you can do, you just have to go and pursue it and be determined. So, but that also goes with um, men as well, you know, so... I, be- I believe in equality, actually. Actually, I sympathize with your you know, view because even in my organizations, we have 78% women, and uh, I can never disagree with what you're saying. It mm-hmm. is so true. You know, I mean, we have a lot to learn as men. <laughs> you know, and uh, I, I'm very humbled to say, you know, I, mean, is, uh, I want to learn more you know, because it, it, it's fantastic. I grew up in, in, in a household of three women and two men. So, you know, we're a minority, but we feel absolutely <laughs> great. It'll be a fantastic experience. Uh, another question is about sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of that do you incorporate in your design or when you're approaching project? How do you take it? You know, Actually, more and more now, uh, some of our bigger projects, particularly in Saudi Arabia, they have a mandate or they're sort of going for lead uh, platinum and we have to really work around that. And it's not always the easiest, actually. So we work with other consultants who push that uh, sustainability and monitor, uh, monitor mm. that throughout what we do in terms of our materials, our specifications, um, that we're actually looking at. So more and more, actually, it's becoming kind of important. And, I, and I'm, I'm really sort of proud to say that over that COVID period, I actually, we organized um, some classes um, to have most of the team in the office attend a lead course. Um, so we actually did that as well. So most of my team now have had that uh, you know, exposure to um, being certified um, for, you know, sustainable um, approach to projects and to understand that a bit more. So that's been really great. But yeah, more and more, we're really having to um, think about that. Yeah. So um, it's almost the end and uh, it breaks my heart because uh, I really enjoyed it. I can go We can continue forever. another time. <laughs> yeah, we can continue another time with a nice cup of tea. Yes. You know, and... Uh, Only? Yeah, maybe from China. I don't know if they're good tea. Yeah. <laughs> you can teach me that. But um, uh, uh, closing on a, on a, on a smile. I, we start with the smile. We want to yeah. close on a smile. And uh, if next to Bel Khalifa there was a giant billboard and you could write the message, what that could be? Oh, my gosh. You're putting me on the spot. Um I just, yeah. Actually, you know what? Just perseverance. <laughs> perseverance in life, perseverance in anything. That would be my, um, I think, my motto, actually. 
just for people to be, just keep persevering, keep going, don't give up. Never give up, actually. So that would be, I guess, my billboard sign. You know, I, I, I love the answer you gave because in all your interviews, your final advice was get a pension plan. <laughs> get a pension I, I, plan. I feel great. I don't feel old. <laughs> actually, you know what? I mean, you may laugh, you know, but I think it was uh, someone, it was one of the, I think it was the chairman of RMJM and when I was in Thailand and I remember I was 24, 25 and he said to me, don't forget your pension plan. And I thought, <laughs> oh, okay. And actually, you know what? I ended up doing one about a month later and it just came to fruition after 25 years uh, in January. So that was a good thing. I persevered <laughs> with that too. So, you know, but I think it's, I think a lot of people don't think about that type of thing, but actually it's um, something I think is good to do. It's good discipline. Dear Christina, I can only say <laughs> Thanks, the most amazing, enjoyable 45 minutes together. Thank you very much. Thank you very Appreciate much for your time. Thank too. you. Thank you. <laughs>